So tonight we're continuing our series called Basic. Basic is the name of the series. We are not talking about, you know, the basic white girls out there. We're talking about the basics of Christianity, the basics of walking with Jesus, foundational things, um, and maybe some terms that you've heard in church, but you don't really understand them because you, like, missed the first day. Um, So we're talking about foundational things. Last week, we talked about worship, which is a really, really cool place to start um, because we spent the first, you know, part of our service tonight worshiping God, the, the musical form of worship where we uh, express our love to God through singing songs about him to him. Um, And we talked about three questions. Why do we worship? When do we worship? And how do we worship? And the answers were because he deserves it um, all the time, regardless of circumstances, and how in spirit and in truth. So we had some cool conversation about that as well. And tonight we're going to get into, so this is where to say theology. Yeah, guys, one more time. Theology. So theo. Uh, in Latin, you don't have to repeat that. <laughs> in Latin, for like God, for like theos, which is God, and then ology, just much like you know, geology and biology, etc., is the study of. So this is just the study of God. So that's a cool word you can show off to your friends. Um, a really, really basic. I took like theology classes in 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 Bible college, and so like we get like real deep into stuff that still hurts my brain to even think about. We're gonna like be really basic, and I say that, but it's still very confusing. We're gonna talk tonight about the Trinity, what the Trinity means, what the Trinity is, where it is in the Bible, and uh, maybe you've been coming to church and you've heard that word, and you're not really sure what it means, but that's why we're addressing it tonight. Um, because we believe, and you've probably heard some of these words, that God is one being in three persons. He's one God in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the three persons that are our God. And I know that those words don't all make sense. That's because the word Trinity like doesn't make sense because the word Trinity, it's it, tri unity, tri meaning three, unity meaning one. It means like three in one, but even that doesn't quite do it because it just means three one. It means we have a God that is three, but as much as he is three, he's also one. You can't separate him, but he's also works in these distinct ways. It's very, very confusing. But we're going to go a little bit deeper. If you're not a church church person, you might be confused, and I just want you to stick with me, because this is a really, really basic outline of what the Trinity is. You may, If you are a church person, you may have had this explained to you before in certain ways. So you may have heard the Trinity described as an egg. So you got three layers of an egg. You got the shell, the whites of the egg, and the yolk of the egg. I have a picture. In case you've like, I've never seen an egg before. Here's a picture for you. Um, this is sort of what an egg looks like. Um, so you got the, the shell of the egg, the whites of the egg, and the yolk of the egg, and those three in one. Now, sort of, but not really, because we say there's three. There's definitely three there, but they are one egg, but also like you can see where one stops and the other starts. Like It's, it's not quite it. We also, maybe you've heard of water to describe um, the Holy Trinity, because you have in the form of ice, of liquid water, and then like water vapor. Maybe sort of, kind of, but but like well, your water molecules can only be in one state at a time, and our God is three all the time and one all the time. So this doesn't quite do it. Um, there's one more that I like. Uh, if you're a music person, you might <laughs> resonate with this. Uh, <laughs> um, but the, the, the chord, that's a C chord, sort of describes the Trinity. So you have the C chord, and that's made up of three separate notes. So that's a little bit of, that may help you, <laughs> Zach. I can always count on my friend Zach to, to clap. Um, so that may help you. That's a little something that may get you a little closer. Uh, but still, 
you can clearly see three notes. Like, it's still too separate for the Trinity. There's one, um, these all fall short because you're using creation to describe the creator. You know, you're using something like a finite material thing to describe our infinite, immaterial, can't see him but he's there God. You know, so that's why these examples don't quite cut it. My favorite example to describe uh, the Trinity is not going to describe the three-in-one quality of the Trinity, but it's going to describe the unknown quality of the Trinity, and that's a sculpture, you know, a statue. And I like this um, the way that that I see it is that the script, the sculpture, which is the creation, um, can understand the artist as much as we can understand our God. So we understand God to the same degree that this statue can understand the artist that created it, which is not very much, right? Like we can only scratch the surface of who God is because he's infinite and we're not. So that's, so when there's a little mystery, like St. Patrick, you may have heard of that guy. He called this, the Trinity, a mystery and it's revealed through faith. There's some of the things that he said about the Trinity, but you're not going to totally get this. Even if you go to church your whole life, you're not going to totally understand the Trinity because God is infinite and we are not. We're very finite people. Uh, you can only be one place in the, at a time. You can only do one thing at a time. God is out side of time and space. Um, and that's one like really good reason to worship him, right? Like if my God was a person, I wouldn't want to worship that. Like if I can see like a person bleed, like I can see a person fail morally, like I can see a person let me down. I don't want to worship that. My God is infinite. Uh, he made the form of a human. He was, he came to earth as Jesus. And that is to show how much he cares about us, to show how close he wants to be with us. But my God is much bigger than just a, a person, you know, and that's what makes me worship him because he's infinite. That's one of the reasons that we worship him. So, so we can understand God to the same degree that the statue can understand the sculptor. And that's not an excuse to stop trying to stop like studying God and trying to understand him. Uh, but I hope it's a little comforting to those that are having their minds blown because they can't quite grasp this idea. And you've been able to grasp ideas your whole life, but this one you can't quite get. And I hope that's a little comforting for you. So we have tri-unity. Trinity is tri-unity. So let's start with the unity of God, this unity part. And we get this, in, we can see it in scripture. God is one in Deuteronomy 6, 4. And this is what what's called the the Shema. And uh, if you don't know the, the Bible, the Old Testament was originally written in uh, Hebrew. So like Jewish people will learn this verse. They'll, well, they'll memorize like the whole, like a lot of the Bible. Um, but they'll say this verse twice a day. Every single day, they'll say this verse, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And that's the Hebrew for this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the reason this is earth-shattering is because at the time this was written, the surrounding nations were not worshiping one God. They were worshiping a whole slew of gods, much like we see, you know, like the Greek uh, mythology, that kind of the Roman mythology, or might be familiar with some of that. Um, the, the Native Americans had a whole you know, pantheon of, you know, the god of trees and water and the air and whatever. Um, so that's what was happening at this time. The, the people surrounding Israel were worshiping a group of gods. So this verse was a really, really big deal. This made our God stand out. This made him different than any of the other gods in the area because the Lord is God. The Lord, our God, is one. That's a big deal. Foundational to especially the Jewish religion, and we carry that because it's just so foundational that God is one. 
James, uh, this is a New Testament verse, in 2.19, it says this, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. There is one God. Our God is one, the unity of God. Now, get ready to scribble out your notes, because we're going Trinity now. The Lord our God is three. Uh, don't scribble out your notes. They're both true. Um, this is the Trinity, the, tr- the tri part, the three part. As much as our God is one, he is three. So, like, we use the word God I think of one. When I use three, I I think of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So this is the three part. And I know this is confusing. Bear with me. Um, Genesis 1.26. This is Genesis like the creation of everything. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. That's curious. According to our, our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So you're going to see pronouns be weird here, right? Then God said, let us make man. That's a plural pronoun. And it was in the Hebrew language. We can see that in, in our old copies of the, Gen- the book of Genesis in Hebrew. That is a plural pronoun. We, us, our. And that speaks to the Trinity, the tripart of our God. In the New Testament, you can see this in Matthew three sixteen through 17. Uh, and this is the baptism of Jesus. This is where God the Son came to earth and he was baptized where it started his ministry. And this is what that verse says. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. This is cool. And when you're reading the Bible and you see like God interact with the Holy Spirit or talk about the Holy Spirit or talk about his father, take note of that. Cause that's really interesting. That's a Trinity. It's a verse that shows you that our God is one, but he's also three because we have God, the son being baptized and then God, the spirit coming down like a dove and then God, the father speaking from the heavens. We have Three in one, the Trinity. Is your head spinning yet? Mine is. Zach's got it. (laughs) So we're going to start moving into these three persons. We're going to talk about each one, one at a time. The three persons of the Trinity. We're going to talk about their impact on the Bible, their impact on us, on humanity, and we're going to start with the Father. Now, when I think of the Father, of God the Father, I think of the one in the Old Testament that just, like, gets mad and kills everybody, right? And maybe, like, I've asked people this, and they're like, no, I don't think that at all, so maybe it's just me. But um, that's kind of what I picture when I picture God the Father, and that's not the case at all. God the, he, he uses this picture of a father to describe himself. Uh, which can get tricky when your earthly father is not okay. Like when your earthly father is not a good example. Um, so think of the perfect father, and that's what God the Father is. The, God is the father of Israel. The Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, they're all the same group of people. That is one bunch of different descriptors of one group of people. And they are the children of God. They are God's people. Uh, and God is the father of Israel, the father of the Hebrews. And it all started with a man named Abraham. Um, Genesis starts with Adam, you know, like mankind in general, but God revealed himself after Adam and Eve messed up. God revealed himself to a man named Abraham in Genesis 12. Uh, and this is what it said. Now the Lord said to Abram, later changed his name to Abraham, don't get confused, uh, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, 
We talked about the Davidic covenant a couple weeks ago. This is the Abrahamic covenant, or part of it, where God says, I'm going to do amazing things through you. You're going to have a bunch of kids, and you are going to be the father of the people of God. Huge. Father Abraham, and many sons, and many sons. You may have heard that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You. I am one of them, and so are you. Now, that is very true of Jewish people. Like, if you, someone says, I am, like, geneal- genealogically, is that right? Genealogically Jewish, that means they are a descendant of this one man, Abraham. So, um, that's what the Jewish is. I mean, it's a religion, but mostly it's a genealogy. You are, your heritage, your race is at least part Jewish. And so, that's where it all comes back to this man named Abraham. Um, can you put that scripture back up there? Because my brain's a little jumbled, and it's helping me. <laughs> it's helping me talk through it. Um, so you know those those Jewish people. But in the New Testament, God, Jesus says, "I have grafted you in." As, well, I'm not Jewish, as far as race goes. Um, I'm a Gentile, which is what you call people who aren't Jewish. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, "I have grafted you in." If you're a Gentile who calls on my name, on Jesus's name, you are now as if we took a branch off this tree and tied it to another tree and like put it grafted it to another tree, another vine, you are now a part of this family tree. That makes you Jewish. That makes you God's people. And that makes you a son or daughter of Abraham. So, all that to say, um, God is the father of Abraham. He's the father of the Israelite people. And now, all Christians, that is expanded to the Gentiles that call on the name of Jesus. Now, the Bible has what I call the, the forward lean. And the whole Bible is suggesting what's coming next. And it's really cool because like we take little pieces of this Bible with little verses, we put them on coffee cups or whatever, we tweet them and, and like that's cool. But like you can't forget that this Bible is a is made up of letters and books which make up New Testament and Old Testament, which make up a whole story of God's interaction with his people. So this whole story, he's talking about what's coming next. Um, maybe in liter- like your literature classes, you talked about foreshadowing. Like God invented foreshadowing. <laughs> like from the very beginning, he's talking about what's coming next. So in the Old Testament, we are seeing this lean, this the new way that God's going to reveal Himself is what He keeps hinting at, leaning toward. Um, and we see in the Old Testament that we are leaning toward the son from the father interacting with his people the father of abraham introducing himself to reintroducing himself to his people and we are leaning toward the son because the whole old testament is filled with prophecies that talk about a guy who's going to come and shake things up a guy who is actually god so we're leaning toward jesus god the son so these are some of those prophecies in genesis 3:15 it says um well, let me back up before I read it. Um, this is called the Proto-Evangelium. And I feel like I've said this a lot. So maybe I never heard this word until college. So congratulations. Proto, think prototype, meaning first prototype. Um, evangelium, so like evangelism, gospel, good news. So the first gospel, the first good news. Um, because it's the first verse in the Bible that is leaning toward Jesus. Didn't get far. Genesis is the first book. <laughs> so Genesis, th- uh, whoa, three fifteen. I, th- I was looking at the wrong script, the re- wrong reference. Um, it says, "And I will put enmity, struggle, uh, strife, disagreement between you." the serpent and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Thank you. So uh, a background on this verse, we have Adam and Eve and we have the serpent. If you don't know the story at all, uh, you probably do, but I'm going to give you a summarized version. Um, Adam and Eve were given one instruction. God, God and Adam and Eve were toyed. They were like buds. Like they were like walking through the garden together. Like that's 
intimacy, that's closeness with God. Uh, and he said, all right, just one thing, don't eat from this tree. So Eve wandered off, and she talks to the snake, and he's like, dude, eat that fruit. It's going to be great. She's like, no, I'm not supposed to. And he's like, do it. And she's like, okay. And then uh, she's like, Adam, do this. And he's like, no, I'm not supposed to. And then she's like, do it. And he's like, okay. Um, and so they eat the fruit of the, the, this tree that they're not supposed to eat, and their punishment is they get kicked out of the garden, and they are introduced to separation from God. Huge. You go from walking through the garden with God to Complete separation. Like they needed to jump through hoops, like the Old Testament sacrificial system. They needed to jump through hoops to have closeness with God. They gave it up for what they wanted. And so this verse is right after that. And God's dishing out punishments. <laughs> He's saying like, you messed up. You too, servant. I, I saw what you did. So he like lays it all out for these people. And he says to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Um, forever, mankind and snake kind are going to have issues. Dave knows all about that. Because if you ever want to you know, talk about a fear of snakes, Dave would love to have that conversation with you. Is that correct? Yeah, Dave does not care for snakes. Uh, rightfully so. Um, it's, yeah, it's scriptural, guys. Um, so God says, you're going to have these issues forever. Um, and, and this is interesting. Between your offspring and hers. So what he's saying is, like, you're going to have issues now, but later down the road, your son and your offspring are going to have issues. This is a the proto-evangelium. This is the lean. This is a prophecy about Jesus. Because the offspring of the certain the serpent is Satan. And this is uh his he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's what's going on when Jesus is crucified. Jesus is the descendant of mankind. He's the descendant of the woman. And Satan is the descendant, the offspring of the serpent. So we have this uh forever, this this He's like zooming out and talking about the ultimate struggle of good and evil, and it's going to come to a head. Uh, he will, you, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. You're going to, ha- you're going to feel like there's victory when Jesus died, but ultimately, Jesus resurrected from the dead, defeated death, and won that battle. This is a prophecy about Jesus all the way in the first book of the Bible. That's significant. And I hope I didn't lose you because I know I talked for a while and pretty fast, uh, but we're going to keep moving. A second prophecy in the Old Testament that's leaning toward Jesus. One of my favorites in Micah 5.2. And it says that the Savior is that's coming, the Son. God the Son is coming and he's going to be born in this particular city. So, so, so cool. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So, so cool. So, like, this is not, Bethlehem was not the L.A. of the ancient Near East. Like, Bethlehem was like a little, like, Noxon. That's what I picture Bethlehem as. Like, a wonderful land, speaking of snakes, like, (laughs) Bethlehem was not a big deal. So, for him to say, this savior of the universe, this son, God, the son, is going to come out of this hick town, was crazy. And so that's one of the crazy things that lead us to know that Jesus was the the person that this Old Testament was talking about. So the Savior will be born in Bethlehem according to this prophecy in the book of Micah in the Old Testament. Um, Yes. So that's the forward lean. The Old Testament is leaning. The Father, we have the Father interacting with, uh, with his people. And he's leaning, suggesting, talking about what's coming. The next part is God the Son. We're leaning to the next part of the Trinity, and that's God the Son. So Jesus came to earth for the crucifixion. We believe that uh, God came to, f- to earth in the form of man to die on a cross for our sins. Matthew 27, um, 50 through 51 says this, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his 
his spirit. He came to die on the cross. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Close one, guys. Everything's fine. Uh, (laughs) So Jesus came. God the Son came to earth to die. His mission was to die for the sins of his people. I mentioned the Old Testament. Uh, You could still have closeness with God, but you had to, like, find a certain amount of birds and kill them a certain way, which is as crazy as it sounds. Like, you had to go through all these rituals. You had to not mess it up. You had to jump through hoops to have closeness with God. And God said, that won't do. Like, he came to make it easy for us to have closeness with him. Uh, And that's why Jesus came. This veil-tearing thing is significant. Because in the Old Testament, you had to come to the temple to make all these sacrifices to have, you know, to make your relationship with God cool again. Um, But when Jesus died, the veil, there's a temple, and in the temple was this big old curtain. And behind the curtain was this special place that nobody could even go. That's where the Holy Spirit dwelled. That's where God, the Spirit, was like among his people, was in this tent. Well, it was used to be a tent, and now it's behind this curtain in this building. And that even the priests were only allowed to go in like once a year. And before that, they had to like wash up because if they were like unclean ceremonially and they went in there, they'd die. They like tied a rope around the guy's leg. Because if he went in and he was unclean, he'd just kill over. And be like, man, he's been in there a while. They like tug on the string. It's like waiting for a tug back and they get nothing. They just, you know, roll rope him back and uh, get a new priest, I guess. So like this was high stakes stuff. And Jesus said, this is not how I want it to be. This is how it had to be for a while, because I needed to show that, that, I'm, that I'm holy. I needed to show the righteousness and holiness of God. But now, things are going to change. Jesus came to change that thing. And when he tore the, the veil in the temple from top to bottom, he didn't send Peter to go in there with the scissor and, like, you know, take care of the veil. He said, I'm going to tear it from top. This is a heavy, heavy curtain. They were not messing around. Cheap fabric. He tore the veil from top to bottom, from the ceiling of the temple to the floor to signify this holy of holies place in the temple. It doesn't even matter anymore because I'm going to dwell in my people. We are leaning to the next thing. In the Gospels, we're leaning from this man, God, the Son, to the Holy Spirit. We're leaning to the next thing. In John 4, 23 and 24, we talked about this verse last week in the context of worship. Um, And it's a really cool verse for the Trinity as well. Because he says, uh, a time is coming. What? A time, this is a lean. A time is coming. Things are about to get crazy. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and, and in truth. This is how you worship, in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. He's leaning. He's saying, hey, something's coming. It's going to be different. God, the spirit is coming. Really, really cool. Um, also, we see the three parts of the Trinity in this verse. God the Son is talking about God the Father sending God the Holy Spirit. Very, very interesting. Um, John 14, 10 chapters later, 25 through 26, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And he says this, all this I've spoken, all the stuff I've taught you in the three years we've been hanging out together. Um, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, again, the Trinity, God the Son talking about God the Father sending the God the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Listen, we've been hanging out for three years. I know it's been a long time. There's been a lot of stuff, um, and you're inclined to forget it. But listen, when I leave... 
the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit to remind you, to be with you, to guide you, to take care of you when I'm not here. This word advocate here, uh, I mentioned the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek, the Greek language. And this advocate word, it's paraclete. And uh, that word, if, if a Greek person heard the word paraclete, they would think a word like advocate. They would understand it the way we understand advocate or counselor or comforter. Those are the connotations that came with this word. So God is saying, I'm going to send this comforter, this counselor, this Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to be me to you. He's going to be, he's going to dwell inside of you. And that's really amazing. It informs how we view the Holy Spirit, this word here, paraclete, because he's a, a counselor, an advocate, a comforter. So we've talked about the Father, we've talked about the Son, and the third person in the Trinity that we've been leaning to this whole time, this, this third outpouring of God, that how he revealed himself in a new way, um, is the Holy Spirit. And the big event for the Holy Spirit is the day of Pentecost. Um, and this is the time, yet is, the time is yet coming that Jesus was referring to in John 4. Um, and Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit, he baptized his people in the Holy Spirit. He empowered people. We have, like, after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, like, people were terrified. Like, this is another really good uh, apologetic why we believe what we read in the Bible. Because these people were terrified. God had these disciples that he hung out with. And, like, they were before just, like, walking around with Jesus, proclaiming the truth of Jesus. And now they're terrified. Uh, but we believe Jesus died and rose from the dead. And that he hung out with them after he rose from the dead. And they saw him, and that was a part of their journey to being like, okay, i got to stand up for something. They couldn't do it in their own power, so Jesus said, go pray. He said, go hang out in this room, and there's a t- I'm going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to come and, uh, and empower you to do what I'm asking you to do. So this actually, we celebrate this, um, I think it's 50 days after Passover, if I'm not mistaken. Um, not this past Sunday, but the, the Sunday before was Pentecost Sunday. And it was the day that we celebrate, we remember what happened, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're a Pentecostal church. So like we, we highlight this idea. We believe that the Holy Spirit's act on that day is something that we experience as well. Um, Acts 2, this was the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 1 through 4. Um, says this, when this day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they appeared, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them the utterance. We won't go deep into that, but that's where the Assemblies of God Church has this doctrine of speaking in tongues. It comes from this verse, this event. Let's not forget, this is an event in history, the day of Pentecost, just like Jesus' resurrection and his crucifixion, events in history recorded in the Bible. Um, but the big idea here in Acts 2 is that the Holy Spirit came to empower God's people. He came to, to embolden them because they were terrified. So the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside them and it empowered the Holy Spirit or empowered the disciples to change the world, to grow the early church. And we see the church explode after the day of Pentecost. We see the church grow like crazy. The conditions were perfect. The Holy Spirit was working and the early church grew. We believe we serve a, a tri-unity, a three-one God, three persons in a one being the father god the father god the son and god the holy spirit all three of these persons of the trinity are so important and it's important that we seek to understand it as best as we can because the better we grasp the better we understand the things of god the better we appreciate the crucifixion the better we um, understand the love of god the father the better we understand the empowerment of the holy spirit the closer we are to god 
the more we can do for God, the more God's going to do in you, the more God's going to speak to you, the more you understand him. So that's why we're doing this stuff. It's, it's part of getting closer to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for for the understanding that we can have of you through your word, God. And I pray that uh, tonight we took a step closer to understanding this idea of the Trinity. Help us to grasp it as best as we can. We're not totally going to get it, but help us to grasp it as best as we can, um, how you exist in triunity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, and we thank you for everything that you are doing in this group. And uh, I pray that you bless our conversation in small group, Father. Help us to get closer to you as we seek to understand you better. It's in your wonderful, beautiful name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen.